Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We've got naked pics and dirty tricks this week. (laughs) What's our episode, Donna? We are going to be discussing Filthy Pictures Part 2. The air date was the 3rd of March, 1980. Story by Hugh Wilson. Teleplay by Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Story editors Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter, and it was directed by Rod Daniel. And I do want to point out real fast that the air date on this one is the same as the air date from last week because this is the continuation of the hour that ran all in one night. In the first half, a sleazy photographer takes pictures of Jennifer as she's changing after a photo shoot. He plans to sell them to a girly magazine. The guys, minus Herb and Les, staged a break-in, but they were unable to get the pictures back. As the episode continues, there will be more attempts to retrieve the embarrassing pictures from the sleazy Mr. Gonzer. So we're halfway through this hour-long episode when we got some huge news. After we'd finished part one, but as we were working on this episode... We made contact with the sleazy photographer himself, Mr. George Weiner. Now, although you just might want to slap the Arnold Gonzer, George Weiner could not be a nicer guy. He's really a sweetheart. He's got some great comments. Now, since we didn't have George with us for part one, we're going to catch up with a couple of comments from him right here before we get rolling on part two. As we mentioned in part one, George got his start in Hollywood in 1971. By the time he'd taken this part in 1980, he'd worked everywhere. We wondered if he might have been requested by WKRP or did he have to read? Most of the time you had to read uh, for these. Um, is it possible? It's possible. Uh, it, it's more infrequent that I was just requested than I was, you know, come on in an audition. I, I wish I could answer which one it was. I'd love to think, you know, oh, they just called. But uh, I, I, I can't guarantee that at all. Uh, you know, I, there's always been this idea that, oh, they must just call. No, it doesn't work like that. I don't care how many years and how, the people that I see at auditions, you'd go, you know, yeah, well, that's just the business. So <laughs> there it is. I'm sure I, I likely read for it. I very likely read for it. George owned the 1970s. He had multiple projects each year of the decade. Many of his roles were either an attorney or a doctor. We asked him with that kind of resume, 
How did a sleazy photographer wind up on WKRP? Well, I can tell you that he's he's quite relieved to be there. <laughs> Anywhere but in a back in a hospital or in a in a jury room there or something. Uh, yes. You know, it's interesting because obviously when you have a certain look in the beginning, when you get here, it it helps, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I gave up being a, a, a leading man when I was six. Uh, so you know, I, I was fine walking in and they said, oh, you know, he's he's has bald head and glasses. He's a lawyer or a doctor. And that gets you, uh, you know, off the uh, off for a good start. And then it's your job to kind of try and show people you can do more than take someone's temperature, you know, and see how that plays out. So um, uh, it was it was nice to start out. I have no regrets whatsoever about all those play- shows and some of them like Hill Street Blues were actually quite wonderful in my life. Uh, but in the end, um, yeah, you, you, you really hope you get a chance to show other things like comedy. But, you know, that is really important to spread it out. Otherwise, you're going to be locked into that one one or two uh, kind of cast roles uh, for a long time. We were curious as to how George was pitched on the role. Was he really wanting to be a sleazy photographer slash pornographer? I, I, you really want to show that you can do something not instead of being this quiet lawyer. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, I wish I could say I remember the call, but I can I can tell you that being on that show and getting that job was something that I really was pleased about. So I'm sure I hung up very happily and said, I'm, you know, going to do KRP. So, um, you know, that that thrill never goes away. You know, your phone rings, and you've got a job. I don't care how many decades you've been around. It's uh, it's a really special feeling and it never goes away. It's like driving past the studio. I don't get tired of looking at studios when I drive past them. I get jealous that I'm not inside. <laughs> So were you a fan of WKRP before getting this job? I was definitely a fan of KRP. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, uh, you, I thought you had wonderful writing, you had very funny cast. And uh, so, yes, I, I was very much a fan of the shows. You bet. Do you think being a fan gave you an edge with the part? When you know the show, that's a great help. You know who you're working with. You know the characters. And so that was that made it much easier for me. Had you worked with any members of the WKRP cast before? The only one I knew was Howard and I'd worked with Howard before and I loved Howard and I always love Howard and I still see him occasionally. And, um, you know, Howard's uh, we worked afterwards as well. And it was just a dream to work with Howard. Howard. Howard is just one of those. He's funny on camera, off camera. He's interesting as heck. And um just a, a, he was a wonderful person to work with. I, I had great, great memories of him. And I loved him on that show. I, you know, to be able to do that last scene with him, uh, that long scene with Howard, was that was a treat for me because uh, he's a special actor. He always has been. Just like we've heard from several other guest stars, even though he only knew Howard, George says the rest of the cast was very warm and welcoming. What you always look for when you're a guest is being welcomed onto the set. And those guys welcomed you. And he certainly was the lead of that. And yes, I knew Howard. I didn't know the other actors and actresses. But everybody was very welcoming. And that makes a big difference that first day. As you remember, in part one, George had an extended scene with Gary Sandy and Lonnie Anderson. We asked him what it was like in 1980 to be in the same room with Lonnie Anderson in a swimsuit. I haven't gotten over it yet. <laughs> You know, Lonnie still, is still a, impacting you. Yeah. 
you know what you do is you, you say hi and then you look the other way. You, know? you had to point a camera at her. You had to point a camera at her. I'm a happily married man and I'm sweating. So, uh, you know, it's uh, Lonnie's very special. She's a sweetheart. And and I saw Lonnie a couple of times in the last few years, actually at autograph shows with Howard. And um, we always have a wonderful reunion. You know, she's a terrific lady. And I want to tell you, she looks about an hour older. You know, Lonnie still looks, <laughs> he looks terrific. I was intrigued by a small move George made in his first scene with Gordon Jump. He reached out and patted Art's stomach a couple of times, telling him to wait. It seemed like a really aggressive and obnoxious move, but it fit his character perfectly. I was curious if that was direction or was it an actor's choice? Actor's choice. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> and I will say, in a, when you do touch another actor, you, you want to tell them you're going to do that. Uh, to get permission, as it were. We've always heard that Gordon Jump was a great guy. What were your impressions? You know, there's some guys that are as sweet as they their character makes them be. Uh, and he's one of those guys. As we're about ready to get started with part two, George has another bit of interesting information. This episode was not originally intended to be a full hour. That's right. It was a half hour show. And I remember about three days into rehearsal, um, you know, what, what the process, and forgive me, you probably know this, so stop me, but you, you table read and then you start working with just the director. And then the second day you're there, you do a producer's run through. The third day you do a network run through. In that process of the run throughs, there's a huddle and there's a, you know what, we have two shows here. Now, I wasn't in on that huddle. But I was very glad when they said it. My agent called and said they're going to do, do it in two episodes. And I said, terrific, because I'm having a lot of fun. And I'm sure the second episode was the scene with Howard coming in and, and, and uh, you know, being the guy who was going to suck me into giving him back uh, the, the pictures. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that was it's unusual. I must say, I don't, I don't think it ever happened again where I was on a show that said we're going to do, make this into a double. So I was delighted to hear it. George said doubling the length of the show meant a lot of structural changes to the script. He said it was exciting to be around all the script renovation going on. It was a lot of renovation to go to two episodes. It really was. You know, you um, and when it's written as one, um, where are you going to cut it? And now you have to put it, the second half has got to be a lot of new stuff, uh, clearly. Some of, you know, the same, I think it's basically they're looking at the same plot line but they have to all of a sudden increase the dialogue and the scene itself. Um, so, you know, that I will say it was one of those unusual situations where and while you were there, there's creation going on, creativity going on. And in the sense that we're not going to do that scene this way, we're going to change it in a big way. You, you always get creative. You're always going to get creative out of the, the writer's room and make changes. But this was a big change. Even though the script was extended to the length of two episodes, George is pretty sure they shot the entire hour in a single night. You know, as I remember, we did it. We did. Um, that's a really good question. I've been thinking about that. I can't be certain. Um, I believe we did it in uh, in one episode, in one show. But since they're doing it as two episodes, um, they would have had the uh, they would have been able to spill into the next week. And I wish I could tell you, uh, you have to ask one of them because I. It, it was kind of chaotic when we realized it was two episodes. 
in, in a good way, chaotic, because we, we, we enjoyed doing it. So uh, let him stretch it out into a second episode. And that's what got us that wonderful scene where Howard comes in. Um, so I, I, I think we probably did it. Um, tried to do, we probably did it the same night, but I can't be certain. I think they would love to have kept it flowing that same night. We'll have more comments from George throughout the rest of the show. Right now, let's get into the episode. You remember when we ended last time, they had just completed the failed break-in attempt to get the pictures. Coming back for our second half, we open on the bullpen. Mr. Carlson, Johnny, and Venus come into the bullpen. Venus is out of breath. He's breathing heavily. That was close. I mean, that was real close. Man, it was an ambulance. I don't care what it was. It came down the street. It came down the street and it scared me to death. <laughs> an ambulance. An ambulance scaring him. Carlson agrees it was a frightening experience. Andy comes walking in, fastening his belt buckle. Well, it's a good thing I keep an extra pair of jeans in my office. <laughs> Johnny leaves out the door to the studio hallway, saying he's going to go see what Moss is up to. A reference to the never-seen-but-always-depressed overnight guy, Moss Steiger. Mm -hmm. So Andy apologizes to Art, saying they just don't make very good burglars. No, they don't. They're pretty skittish, too. Art feels guilty about the break-in. He can't believe they committed a crime. I think what we should do is... Turn ourselves in. Andy and Venus look at each other. Oh, no, AC. Uh, I know we were bad boys and we're going to hell for what we did, but uh, we can't go to no prison. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. I mean, I can deal with going to hell, but I can't deal with going to jail. <laughs> deal with hell. Can't deal with prison. And in case you're keeping track, we only did one line of the episode for the entire hour. We have an honorable mention coming up, but that's it. So Art feels awful about involving Johnny, Venus, and Andy in his crime. How did I do that? I mean, why does something like this happen? I mean, I'm a Kiwanian. <laughs> I drive a Dodge, for gosh sakes. <laughs> Andy tells Mr. Carlson to take it easy. But Carlson says he's not the kind of guy who goes around committing crimes. He begins talking about the tags on mattresses that are against the law to remove. Makes me nervous just to have those suckers in the house. <laughs> the do not remove by penalty of law tags. Do you remember these things? They were on mattresses up until the 1990s. In big, bold letters, you'd have this scary warning, and there'd usually be some language about prosecution and fines, and consumers wondered... How anybody would know if they ripped off the tags in their own homes and comedians saw a great topic for a bit. So we heard a lot of those in the 80s. We wondered why. Why do you only find those tags on mattresses and who are they really threatening? It was all started by unscrupulous manufacturers in the late 1800s. People used to make their own mattresses at home. Sew a ticking, which is just a big bag, then stuff it with something soft, and you've got a mattress. Whatever you had around the farm would work. Sheep's wool, goose down, cotton, corn silk, even straw. As the Industrial Revolution attracted rural workers into cities, manufactured mattresses became popular. 
It was hard to find lamb's wool or goose down on a city street, so new arrivals to city apartments had to buy their mattress pre-made from the guy who had the shop down the street. As city growth exploded, there was a huge demand for manufactured mattresses. Manufacturers started to recycle old mattresses. They'd rip them open and transfer the stuffing to a new ticking. They didn't clean the stuffing. They just moved it. In the process, they also also moved bacteria, vermin eggs, tuberculosis, and smallpox. Mmm, nice. Got that recycled mattress smell. Sleep tight. In the early 1900s, federal regulators stepped in with the tags. It was a way to protect consumers. The tag lists what's in the mattress and what was used to make it. Ripping a tag off so you can then sell the mattress using recycled materials is where it becomes illegal. What happens if a retailer does it? Well, it varies from state to state. Penalties range from a cease and desist order to just stop removing the tags to a citation and some states a $1,000 fine for each ripped tag. In 1990, the language on the tags was changed to say it's okay for consumers to remove the tags. So sorry, comedians, no more jokes and art is okay now. Okay, so what kept them from leaving the tags on and restuffing them? I don't know. And I didn't dig deeply enough into it. I really, I read an article about it, but I didn't get too deep into it. I'm not sure. It seems like you could really get around this. Yeah. I don't think the tags are are stopping that much fraud, but I guess they work for a while. Johnny comes back into the bullpen saying he's hungry. He asks if anyone else is hungry. Andy and Venus catch Johnny up on the discussion in the bullpen. It's a Carlson one, Sessie. <laughs> Turn ourselves in. <laughs> Johnny's not happy about it either. <laughs> Art asks what's wrong with turning themselves in. They just get a reprimand and then have a clear conscience. Sure. If you don't have a record. And of course, Johnny's got a record. Carlson looks at Johnny. You got a record? No. <laughs> not in this country. <laughs> oh, even worse. It's not in this country. Art's looking at Johnny very seriously. It was nothing. It was a, a, a minor misunderstanding one night with a 145 Mexican cops. <laughs> it wasn't anything. Nothing at all. Venus and Andy guide Johnny toward the bullpen door. They're trying to cover for him, saying he's just kidding. Johnny keeps talking. He really needs to shut up here. I thought there were soldiers. Yeah. I'll, I'll catch up with sure. you. He said, show me some badges. And the guy said, badges? Ah, oh, we don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> Venus and Johnny leave. With all of Johnny's movie talk, he finally gave us a real quote. When Johnny mentions no stinking badges, it's a quote from the 1949 Humphrey Bogart movie, Treasure of Sierra Madre. The movie is based on a novel. The original line contains some mild profanity. The version of the line that always gets quoted is the squeaky clean one from the film. Humphrey Bogart plays a character named Fred C. Dobbs, a Mexican bandit called Gold Hat, played by Alfonso Bedoya, is trying to convince Dobbs he and his men are federales. Oiga, senor, we are federales. You know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Better not come any closer. 
This line has been parodied dozens of times in film and on TV. If you get a chance, type stinking badges into Wikipedia and scan down the list of places it's been used and misused. Andy tells Venus he'll catch up with them in a bit. Andy tells Art somebody needs to talk to Jennifer. Carlson nods his head and says, yeah. Andy says he'll handle it and for Art not to worry. I'll do it. It's my responsibility. We transition to Carlson asleep at his desk, his head lying on his outstretched right arm. Jennifer comes into his office, surprised to find him snoring and in a deep sleep. She puts her hand on his shoulder and calls his name. He is startled awake and hops up out of his chair. Would you like a cup of coffee? Carlson says he would like some coffee. Jennifer leaves to get it. Carlson stretches and then he looks down at his clothes. He remembers why he is dressed like he is. He is still wearing his clothes from the break-in. Jennifer comes back and hands him his coffee. He takes a long drink as Jennifer looks him over. Have you been here all night? No. Matter of fact, I, I didn't get here until about uh, before. <laughs> Jennifer asks if he was working. No, no, no. I, uh, I was out uh, trying to get some pictures. Uh, snapshot. Jennifer questions this. Art asks Jennifer if she'd please sit down. She has a seat on the couch. Carlson says the photographer did a terrible thing. Then he did a terrible thing. Jennifer asks what? That photographer got some pictures of you without any clothes on. I I, I think he took them when you were changing. Jennifer asks Carlson how he knows. How do you know? (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I saw them. I'm sorry. This is a logic laugh. Normally, when you tell a joke, you try to beat the audience to the punchline. But in this case, you have to let the audience get to the punchline first. And Gordon Jump is so good at doing that. Carlson cannot make eye contact with Jennifer. How were they? Carlson stands silently. You can see him thinking about the correct way to respond to this. Oh, just real good. Uh... That was a Bob Newhart delivery yes, to it that was. line. Art tells her it's all his fault. It was his idea to have the pictures for the poster taken in the first place. He tells her he's been very upset and worried about this whole thing. So much so, Jennifer, that I... I did the most foolish thing I've ever done in my life. Jennifer asks him what he did. Took advice from Johnny Fever. (laughs) (laughs) That is a bad move. You've got to be desperate for that. Bad (laughs) move. So he tells her what they did. Andy, Venus, Johnny, and yours truly, we broke into that photographer's studio tonight to try and get those pictures back. Guess we're not very good burglars. Jennifer smiles. You all did that for me? Yes, Mr. Carlson, that was very foolish. Oh, I know. Thank you. She gives Mr. Carlson a big hug, and she says she can just picture the four of them sneaking around in the dark. She tells Carlson he should have come to her first. Now, who would have the best chance of getting something out of that studio? You guys or me? She gives Carlson a look and then leaves the office. We transition into the bullpen where Andy is talking to Herb and Bailey, and we're not sure what's going on here. 
Andy is kind of instructing a class or holding court. He's got a credit card, and he's telling them it's all they need. With this credit card, I can open any door just like this that I want. Bailey is skeptical. Really? Boy. Herb looks at Andy. Should have sent Jennifer over there in the first place. I mean, a guy like Gonzer wouldn't stand a chance with a woman like that. Okay, so what's Andy bragging about? If he really knew how to open a door with a credit card, Gonzer wouldn't have a smashed door right now. You know what I think he's doing? He's kind of rewriting history. I think he's claiming he got in using the credit well, I guess card. Because so. they, they weren't, weren't there. there. Yeah, right. yeah not, th- those guys weren't there. So he's claiming he got in and that's all he needs is his credit card. I think that's what's going on. So Jennifer walks into the bullpen with his stunned look on her face. Andy walks over to ask what happened. The photographer is gay. (laughs) (laughs) And Andy Andy is about to hyperventilate. This is Jennifer's kryptonite. Men will do anything for her, but not gay men. You mean to tell me that when you and I were standing there in bathing suits and he said, uh, he said, talking about me. can barely get that out. Andy's real is, the realization is mortifying to him. <laughs> Bailey's covering her mouth, trying to keep from laughing. Fice your bobs, he said. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I, I really can't believe it. Go ahead and frolic. That's what he said. And God help me, I frolicked. <laughs> I feel so used. <laughs> It's all coming back. Flash your buds. Andy hangs his head in shame. Bailey walks over to Travis. Oh, Bailey, no, please don't. Come on, gorgeous. You're not the first Cupid doll to get his corsage set on. What the devil does that mean? I don't know, but I think you ought to stop the stupid macho stuff and start worrying about Jennifer. Cupid doll? Corsage? What's wrong with Bailey? Is she drinking at work? I think so. <laughs> oh, and Cupie is a brand of dolls and figurines originally conceived as comic strip characters by cartoonist Rose O'Neill. Cupies first appeared in print in 1909 and as ceramic dolls in 1912. Yeah, they were little fat little things, yeah, weren't with they? Yeah, a little with curly cue on top of their head. And round heads. Les gets up from his desk and he approaches Jennifer, which brings us to line of the episode. Honorable mention. I'm no expert, Jennifer, but um, wouldn't a man change his religion, so to speak, if uh, you were, so to speak, the church? (laughs) (laughs) I love that analogy. That's great. this, This is WKRP addressing the Seinfeld question could Jennifer get a guy to play for the other team? That was a great Seinfeld yes, episode. Jennifer tells him she doesn't think so. Les thinks for a bit, claps his hands together, and I thought he was going to volunteer and go himself. You know, because he's been mistaken for being gay before. Yeah. But he says... Well, maybe he'd like Herb. <laughs> And the matter-of-fact way he says that line (laughs) kills me. 
Herb looks at Les. What? Les explains they've got to get those negatives away from that photographer. He says Andy is too shattered by all of this to be of any help. (laughs) And Andy's sitting there holding his forehead and just looking off into space. He is shattered. You're always telling me what a square I am and how appealing you are, so obviously you're the man to go. (laughs) Besides, you're the one who found this photographer in the first place. After Les says, you know, maybe, maybe he'd like Herb, I love the way Herb turns and he does is this facial expression he, he licks his lips and he goes what i mean he does he, this big build-up before he delivers that one line what herb looks unbelievably at less you're finally having that big mental breakdown we've all been waiting for. jennifer goes for the sympathy routine with herb that's all right i I knew you wouldn't help me anyway, Herb. Herb gets up from his desk, looks at Jennifer, who's looking all pitiful and helpless. (laughs) He glances over at Andy and Bailey, and it's like he can't stop himself. He walks out the door of the bullpen. I don't believe this. (laughs) And Jennifer's superpowers are restored. Yes. (laughs) What? In this next scene, there are only two lines, four total words spoken, And Herb has both of these lines. This whole scene gave Frank Bonner a chance to do what he is so good at, his physical comedy, especially his facial expressions. I can't help but think that the writers had this in mind when they were writing this scene. So we're in the photographer's studio, and George Weiner said, Gonzer's non-reaction to Herb in this scene was carefully planned. The decision was made that the funniest reaction to Herb was no reaction at all. You know, I think what we realized right away is my reaction was going to be kind of stoic. I, I wasn't going to be one of these, hey, pal, what are you, highly, you know, get out of here. I was just going to watch him in, 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 uh, in awe of the insanity of what I was seeing and knowing that I was still in control. You know, nothing was going to lose. I was never going to lose control of my room there. Uh, and so it was like, sit back, you know, fold your hands and go, all right, let's see what you got, pal, because this is strange. (laughs) And so that sort of non-reaction reaction reaction, uh, makes it, he then has to do more and more and more to try and get to me because I'm not, I'm not reacting the way he expected. Although the script calls for no reaction, George says laughing is an unavoidable part of the job. All of that is, is, is so funny. And, and, but my my concern is only is not cracking up uh, when I'm in the scene now. Um, but that, and that can be very hard to do. It can be very hard to do. And I you know I've been fortunate. I've been in situations where you can get away with it, you know, um, once. You know, uh, there are some shows where they're tolerant because they know they're making a comedy, you know, and hey, we're just human. Somebody's going to make me laugh. But um, it's it's you try very hard not to, certainly. But you can't always succeed. And uh, that was one of those shows that you're, you're, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh in rehearsals. You are. And even though laughing was tolerated to a point, George said there was one rehearsal night where nobody wanted to be caught cracking up. Try not to do it in network run through because it's network. Yeah. <laughs> that, that word has a certain weight to it. So, you know. Stay professional for those guys. Very yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why is Weiner crying? I think he's laughing, sir. <laughs> Interesting tidbit about this scene. It is almost exactly two and a half minutes. This scene is what got cut for syndication. Removing this entire scene, 
got the show down to the right length. Even though this scene isn't vital to advancing the story, it's pretty hilarious. Thankfully, Shout Factory has restored it for us. We see Herb approach the door to the photographer's studio and look in. There is duct tape going diagonally to form an X in the space where the glass <laughs> used to be. Hmm, now, what happened to that glass? Oh, yeah, he got broken into last night. And he doesn't seem too shaken up by it. He's just working. So Gunzer's sitting at his desk. He's wearing white gloves and working with some negatives. He doesn't see Herb at first. Herb slowly opens the door. Herb is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> his shirt is unbuttoned a scandalous way down, showing a silver chain necklace, and he has his jacket draped across his shoulders. Herb puts his sunglasses on top of his head. He turns to close the door, and then he does this dramatic turnaround move to face Gonzer. Herb strikes a pose by putting one hand up on a shelving unit his other hand in his pocket, and bending his left knee, tilting his head up, he says, Hi. <laughs> Gonzer looks around and sees him. He pauses, and then he waves at Herb. Yeah, but it's not really a wave. It's oh, just right. kind of the two fingers, and it's funnier because he has that white glove on. Yeah, he like just, a little salute with two yeah, fingers. Yeah, just kind of gives him a, uh, hey, how you doing? Keep going. Herb walks toward Gonzer, looking him in the eyes, and finally manages to say, How's it going? <laughs> so this whole time he's walking toward, he's, his eyebrows are going up and down, and he's, you know, wiggling his nose a little bit. And, and I love how those two, George and Frank, are playing off of each other wordlessly. Yes. They're responding back and forth and communicating, but not saying anything. How's it going? We head into the bullpen where the camera scans the crew. We see Venus and Bailey are playing chess. Art and Johnny are passed out, one at each end of the couch. <laughs> Andy is sitting at Bailey's desk, and Jennifer is leaning against the filing cabinet, looking a little unnerved. Herb comes walking through the door of the bullpen. They all look at him. Well, he's not gay, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's reaction is hilarious. It's great news he for is, Andy. He is so relieved that he was not being ogled by the photographer. And I'll tell you something else. I'm never, ever doing that again. <laughs> I get enough rejection from women. <laughs> Poor Herb. Herb's, Herb's getting shot down on both sides now. But Jennifer, she's confused. But he is gay. Why would a man lie to me about something like that? Herb walks over to Jennifer and gently says, Because, Jennifer, he's a crook. A crook and a liar. And he'll say anything to anybody. What will I tell people when those... Pictures are published. What'll I say to my mother? Andy tells them all he'd like to just go right over there and punch the guy out. Johnny sits up on the couch. Now hold on, partner. Violence never solved anything. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to kill you. 
I love the ongoing gag between Johnny yes. and Venus. It's great. Johnny pokes the bull, Venus attacks. <laughs> Johnny holds his hand up to Venus, explaining they need some kind of an angle, a plan, a sting. Johnny says the common denominator in all scams, the greed of your victim. Well, we're in business here. Johnny looks at Art and tells him he needs about 300 to $400. Johnny asks Bailey if she can play an aggressive, straightforward kind of woman. Bailey shakes her head and says she can't. The hell she can't. I love how the writers have set up Bailey. In this whole episode, she's been the kind of aggressive toward Andy and like doing the come on thing. And that's not Bailey. That's not the Bailey we know. But here she's kind of going back to hide behind the shy, passive, and she's proven she's not. So Andy's not going to let her get away with it. Now I'll need, uh, I'll need time to think. Shot of bourbon. (laughs) Couple hours of shut eye. Oh, God. with the pseudo film speak aside from his badges quote we don't think anything he said so far this episode actually came from a real movie a lot of it sounds like it might have been in a movie but we couldn't find anything he's not gay that's for sure (laughs) we move to the photographer's studio now the back and forth coming up between jan smithers and howard hessman really felt like improv george said that this scene was a big part of the decision to go to an hour. We asked him if it was improv or scripted. It was scripted. Uh, Howard, wonderful improvisational actor. And, um, yes. you know, in, in, a, in a case like when you're working with a Howard, he can offer a suggestion. It's the writers have to say, yeah, try that. Let's try that. Okay. Um, and, and then finally get approval on making the script change. It sort of has to climb the ladder a little bit for the director and then the producers to say, okay, sure. But um, no, that was scripted. And, and, uh, but I will say that, you know, um, you listen to Howard, if you're in the middle of a scene and he says, why don't we try this moment? Why don't we say this? They're going to listen and I'm going to listen because it's Howard. Uh, so, you know, it, that may well have happened there. May well. I wish I could be, you know, uh, more exact in my memory of that, but I would not at all be surprised if Howard, uh, added something to it with a, a, some improv that became part of the scene. We were also wondering if episode director Rod Daniel, the most active director in the series, might have influenced the fast and loose creativity on the set. You get a good director and he's going to give you some freedom and then he'll rein you in, you know, uh, whenever that may be necessary. But, you know, if, if he doesn't give you that freedom, you, he's going to lose out if he's working with like that cast, you know, they're going to come up with things for character things that only they will understand because it's their character. Let them, tr- let them try this. You can't expect the, the director to be that in depth with all the characters. Although if when you do it a lot, when you repeat his director, as he did, you certainly, you certainly do get to know it better, but yes, uh, it's nice to step back and um, as the director and then, then move in and, 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 Make changes as, as you see necessary. We're in the photographer's studio, and Gonzer is coming out of the dark room when Johnny and Bailey enter. They are dressed as if they have a lot of money. Now, a heads up, according to a trivia item on IMDb, some of the pictures around the studio are of story editors Peter Tarakvi and Stephen Campman, so I'm sure their mothers are quite <laughs> proud. Johnny has his hair slicked back. He's wearing a double-breasted cap khaki-colored jacket 
with dark slacks, a dark shirt, and a dark handkerchief in his breast pocket. Bailey is in a purple skirt, purple jacket, and purple shoes with a matching purple hat. Her hair is in an updo. She completes this purple ensemble with a purple purse and white kid leather gloves. And I love how it's all various shades of purple, but yeah, they but all work works. together. Yes, oh, they it all does. she looks really good. And if you think about it, Johnny and Bailey's outfits both for under $400, so not bad. <laughs> she carries herself differently. I mean, yeah. she's got her head up. She's carrying herself like she's an important person. Well, and also like she is West German. <laughs> so Johnny approaches Gonzer and introduces them as Philippe Caravella. Caravella, his real last name. This is Jim And Ginger Greg. The character name Ginger Greg is a shout out to associate director Ginger Grigg. Johnny tells Gonzer he knows he is in possession of some photographs of a Miss Jennifer Marlowe of Cincinnati. And I love whatever accent that is that Johnny is getting into. We want those photos. Gonzer tells them to tell him who they are or get out of his studio. Excuse me, but we want those photographs, Mr. Gonzer, and we are prepared to pay a high price. And then we'll get out of this village and back to New York as soon as we can. (laughs) Get out of the village. village. (laughs) (laughs) So Gonzer offers to call them a cab. Mr. Gonzer. We are in the publishing business. Both Philip and I have either worked for or counseled with Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler magazine. Philip was an art director and I was a model. Playmate of the year? 1975. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. I thought I recognized you. Mr. Gonzer. We represent a West German publishing firm wishing to start a new magazine in this country. Just offer him the money and let's go. I will do this in my own fashion, Philip. (laughs) Wolfgang specifically said that I was to be in charge. Wolfgang does not speak for the entire cartel. I beg your pardon, but I believe that he does. He doesn't. He does? He doesn't. Ginger slaps Philippe with her gloves, and Gonzer intervenes, but when she does that, he also slaps himself, and he is right there sucked in. Right, but Ginger slaps Philippe, and then he slaps his face, because he's like, (laughs) oh, in shock that she just did that, and it's like, slap, slap. It's great. We had even talked about that one reaction where Jan smacks Howard in the face with her gloves and you are standing behind them and your movement is to smack your cheek just at the same moment. And it was so beautiful and so funny. And the camera angle is perfect on it. And just so many little things like that throughout that scene. Well, thank you. They owned me at that moment in the scene. You know, they they were going to dictate everything I was going to do. Also from IMDb Trivia, the actual Playmate of the Year for 1975 was a woman named Marilyn Lang. Gonzer wants to know how they knew about the pictures. You offered them to two other publications, perhaps more. No, that's not true. Don't lie to me, Mr. Gonzer. I will not tolerate your lies. <laughs> Don't lie to him. <laughs> I will not tolerate your lies. Uh, that is great. And I don't know if that's an accent or just a snooty tootie. I don't know, but it, I, I like it. I'm it better than you kind up. of thing. Ginger tells Gonzer they knew about the pictures because of their spies. They want the pictures because 
They've been told that the Marlowe woman is the most beautiful woman they've seen in years. Gonzer asks what they're willing to pay. I must see the photos first. Gonzer leaves the room to get the photos. And Bailey is shooting daggers at Johnny because it seems like he's copping a cheap look. Johnny tries to explain that, you know, you got to ask to see the photos. You wouldn't buy them sight unseen. But Gonzer comes back into the room as Johnny's speaking. I had to ask him to see them. Some of me don't buy things like the sight unseen. Thousands of them. <laughs> Thousands. <laughs> Thousands of them, man. Gonzer hands the folder of pictures to Johnny. Johnny looks inside. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> he's not Philippe. He's Johnny. He and his character. Oh, man. Uh-oh. His eyes are popping out of his head. He brings the folder closer. Bailey, seeing what's happening, grabs the folder. Bailey asks Gonzer what he wants for the pictures as she's holding it well away from Johnny. George is handling cameras and negatives like he's been around them all his life. We wondered if George had a photographic background or was he just making it up? All made up. I, I, I would say, guys, you know, uh, help. if you Whenever you see me pulling the wrong anything, just jump in there. No, I, I, I had not done any photography of any kind. Uh, so I, they just showed me how to hell, hold the camera, you know, and you just play it like, you, you know, you, you live with it. Hey, sure. this is my camera. Don't anybody touch it but me. Make well, it you did it very well. Gonzer is still probing them for information. First pictures in a new magazine. Now, these pictures can make or break you. What's the name of your magazine? None of your business. Make it my business. It's called Naval. That's N-A-V-E-M. <laughs> Belly Button Magazine. Johnny tells him that he doesn't think he knows the meaning of the word stylish. I don't know stylish. (laughs) Look, pal, just remember, you two used to be right down here where I am. Just a nude model and her illustrator boyfriend. But now, of course, you're a bunch of New York big shots. Philippe, with the checkbook out, pen in hand, asks again, how much? Gonzer wants $30,000. Cash. No check, cash or money order. Philippe tells him their check is good. Gonzer insists, cash only. I like how he introduced himself as Philippe, but Ginger keeps just calling him Philip, trying Mm -hmm. to knock him down a few pegs so he doesn't sound so fancy. Ginger says they can just go across the street to the bank. Gonzer's happy with this. No, that won't do. I am tired of arguing. Philip, we have got to get back to New York to talk to the investors and hire staff photographers. Now, come on, let's go back to the bank. Gonzer tells them to hold on a minute. They're hiring staff photographers? Oh. What a lure to Kinda hang out there. that in there. Yeah, huh? that's the sting right there. Gonzer asks them to hire him. Well, Philippe laughs. Gonzer tells them no pictures. He gets a little mad yes. when his creativity is called into that question. That an insult. Yeah, Ginger tells Philip to listen to Gonzer. Philip and Ginger begin arguing again. You shut up, Ginger. I am sick and tired of you. I am afraid that it wouldn't work, Mr. Gonzer. Philip would hire you just to get the pictures, and he would turn around and fire you. That is the type of person he is. (laughs) Unless, unless you were one of the investors. Impossible. Ginger continues talking to Gonzer. Very smart investment, Mr. Gonzer. 
DuPont, Xerox, and Burger King have already invested <laughs> Ginger, you talk entirely too much. Gonzer turns to Johnny. Shut up, Philip. <laughs> Gonzer likes this idea of taking stock. Ginger explains that, hmm, $30,000 is how much stock Philippe owns. He would not be able to fire Gonzer then. Philippe is upset with this plan, and he's beginning to argue with Ginger when Gonzer interrupts. You got yourself a deal, Miss Gray. Bailey tries to close out the deal. I'll have our lawyers tell us a letter of agreement down here. The photos and negatives will serve as your investment. Agree? Well, uh... No. Why not? It will be the photos, the negatives, plus $500 in cash. <laughs> why? Just to be a pain. <laughs> okay. They have him so sucked in. He's not getting out. Well, this is making uh, Bailey a little nervous, though, when Johnny's going for that. Uh, that little extra. It a little he's for, tightening down the screws a little more. I don't think they uh, discussed this or practiced no. this. No, so. he's freelancing there, I do believe. <laughs> Gonzer tells him it's no problem. He'll just write a check. And Philippe, of course, tells him. No checks. This is a cash there business, remember? Gonzer agrees to go across the street and get a money order. Philippe agrees and holds out his hand. He wants the pictures. Gonzer puts the folder of pictures in Philippe's hand. Yes! And we got him! Gonzer and Ginger head out the door to go to the bank. Johnny is the last one out the door. He's fanning himself with the folder. He's relieved. He starts to follow them, but they're gone out of the room now, and he stops. It looks like he's going to take another peek at the pictures. He's almost ready to look, and then he decides to be a good boy and not to. Yes. He leaves, closing the door to the studio. I will not tolerate your lies. And George Weiner has done more than two hundred acting projects in his career. He's had recurring roles on nine different series. Out of all that work, he said this scene with Howard Hessman and Jan Smithers was so much fun, it still holds a special place for him. Of doing that scene uh, where they come into my, to try and, you know, and they do in fact, you know, flip it on me and, 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 and fake me out of the, the money and, and the pictures and so on. I remembered how much I enjoyed that scene. You know, uh, you love working, but that scene was so well played out, played out by, you know, written out and then played by, by Howard. And, and um, oh, forgive me, I'm at my age, I forget Jen, names. Jen, Jen. And forgive me, Jen, of course. They were so perfect there. It made it so easy to respond to them. And uh, that was fun. That was, I mean, I, all of it was fun, but sometimes there's something that just jumps out even more at you, and that scene was it for me. We come back to the lobby where everyone is gathered around Jennifer's desk. Johnny and Bailey are still in their disguises. Bailey hands the folder with the pictures to Jennifer. Jennifer, we thought you'd take pleasure in destroying these. Jennifer thanks everyone. Hey, we got the photos and the negatives and 500 bucks to boot. Bailey tells him no, they didn't. Here, Mr. Carlson. This is for the Kiwanis Children's Fund. Hey! She hands the money order to Art. So big win. Get back da, the pictures da, 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 da. and 500 bucks. Thank you, Bailey. <laughs> ginger. <laughs> Bailey's kind of getting into this whole ginger thing, isn't she? So Johnny turns to Bailey and says, Ginger, I despise you. I always have and I always will. 
love Johnny in this character, too. Johnny turns to go to the bullpen, but Venus can't take it anymore. That does <laughs> Venus takes off out of there after Johnny. The character, Philippe, is just so different <laughs> than Johnny. It's an about face, but... He's, he's so caustic. He's so good I can see it. Philippe being on a daytime soap. He would be great. <laughs> Carlson is glad to see that things are back to normal. He happily heads into his office. Jennifer's holding the envelope with her nude photos inside. I am going to incinerate these. Herb is hovering behind her. You can almost see the drool. Don't do it, Herb. <laughs> Don't do it. Les is watching Herb, knowing what Herb is thinking. Uh. Jennifer, <laughs> I don't suppose that uh, we could just uh, have a, a, a just a, a, li- a little peek. Jennifer looks up at him, shooting daggers from her eyes. No, indeed not. Urban less quickly exit the lobby. <laughs> I can't believe he asked. Oh. You know, they were all thinking it but he actually asked how could he do that because he's herb he is herb and he walks over to bailey who is still in her purple ginger outfit hey baby <laughs> you know purple's my favorite color how about a dance huh better yet how about a champagne pocket wouldn't it bailey you know i wear bikini underwear Oh, the tables have turned. (laughs) Bailey runs out of the lobby toward the bullpen, and Andy following quickly behind. Left alone now, Jennifer pulls a lighter from her desk drawer. She exhales and clicks to ignite it. She holds the flame up to a corner of the envelope, but just before she makes contact, she sets the lighter down and quickly pulls out that contact sheet of nude photos. She looks it over, gets a big smile on her face. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And that completes our hour-long filthy pictures. What is up for next week, Donna? Next week is Venus Rising. Venus is offered a job as program director at another radio station. At WREQ, he finds the programs are auto-run programming, and he doesn't have anything to do. They only want him as an affirmative action hire. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPcast. Also, for a lot of fun, cool stuff, join us on Patreon. We've got bonus content, and you help keep the podcast commercial-free. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shot Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shot Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!